Hi, I'm Ricardo Deacon. Hi, I'm Orlan Pines. And you're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This is The Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a movie the other person hasn't seen. Then we watch it separately across the continents and meet <laughs> to discuss it or call each other to discuss it. Uh, this week's film was chosen Cyber by Orla. Cyberbeat. Uh, this week's film uh, was chosen by Orla. It is The Paper from 1994. The synopsis is Henry works as an editor for a tabloid. Due to his busy schedule, he is unable to spend time with his wife. He decides to change job, but a gripping story comes his way, questioning his decision. So the movie was directed by Ronnie Howard, uh, produced <laughs> by... Yeah, that's okay. how he was uh, credited in Happy Days. So I call him Ronnie. Produced by Brian Grazer and Frederick Zolo. Written by David Coep and Stephen Coep. Starring Michael Keaton, Glenn Close, Marisa Tomei, Randy Quaid and Robert Duvall. Music by Randy Newman. Cinematography by John Seal. Edited by Daniel P. Hanley and Mike Hill. So Orla, why did you pick this movie? Just mute because it's called the things. paper <laughs> um yeah i went a bit of a tear recently um of these sorts of movies uh i think it was the guardian or somebody had an article about why we're in such a golden era of like investigative journalists and whistleblowers and all that kind of stuff uh with like the report which i watched it's fucking excellent it's like even better than you can imagine adam driver is amazing i don't understand why it took everyone this long to realize that adam driver is this amazing um i would highly recommend it if it's still out in the sun i'm gonna go see it and if you can't see it i recommend you wait so i can you can have it as a pick <laughs> um but yeah and then dark waters is the other one that's come out recently well i don't know if it's out yet but it's the mark ruffalo one about um the chemical company whistleblower and uh he's a lawyer that tries to um i think bring the suit against the company and stuff so lots of investigating lots of my kind of genre and uh so i was going back and i was like i kind of want to fill some of the uh like blind spots of these kind of movies that i haven't watched i found this great list of like weird ones i'd never even heard of before and um, the paper is one that I came across yonks ago and was horrendously put off, mostly by the poster. Um, I don't know if the you two like... posters. Have you seen the two posters? There's two posters. The second poster is the one that they're all sitting on huge stacks of papers, but also like you have like each person just like standing on a different stack, and it's like insane. Like, and also the the, the perspective is so awful. So. Like, uh, Marissa Tomei seems to be, like, a hobbit because <laughs> she's meant to be, like, standing, like, further back than Michael Keaton. And Michael Keaton is just, like, man-spreading on top of a pile of newspapers. But, like, like a, a really tall shit. pile. Oh, just... I, I, uh, yeah, that is some posters, yes. Sorry, yeah, continue. Yeah, the, uh, the baggy, the baggy pants as well, kind of, that, that was a lingering trend, though, because it's quite, that definitely lingered long into the noughties as well, because if you think of the suits throughout the West Wing, they're so unflattering. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. yeah like very, it, yeah. very put off by, uh, by the, uh, by the poster. The trailer's actually not that bad, um, 
considering that this is 1994 and let's be honest 1994 or 1993 when realistically this was probably made is basically still the 80s so (laughs) considering i don't think like even the voiceover in the trailer is that bad so i don't know because it's a ron howard movie i don't know trying to think about what like the apollo 13 trailers like if it's horrendous it's very 90s it's not horrendous but it's like you know, like one man journey into yeah, the stars. Yeah, I kind of was expecting from this, but um, the trailer is actually quite cool, and it kind of plays with the whole time twenty four hours thing. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I turned on one day, anyways, and I was like, eh, you know, it'll be enjoyable to some extent. And it was, I'd started rewatching ER as well, uh, which I never really properly watched, which is fucking great. Oh my god, you are so much better than you would ever think. But again, Tommy Shlami, so kind of makes sense. But um, for some reason, they kind of remind of of the kind of like the overlapping dialogue and all the characters talking and you know, like it all being very sparky and funny and you know, George Clooney. But uh, God, he got better with age. Uh, anyways, I do this on. I fucking loved it. It's just it's so genuinely entertaining. Um, I don't have like a massive like. Ron Howard is one of those filmmakers where I don't really have an opinion. I'm just like, oh yeah, Ron Howard, you know? And you go back through his catalogue and you're like, yeah, you know, it's an eclectic mix. I kind of put him on the, like, solid-ish Hollywood director. He's no auteur, he's made a few clunkers, but, you know, he also made some fucking classics, so we'll, we'll let him at it, you know? Did he have something to do with one of the new Star Wars? Uh, he directed the solo but like he oh. came in to direct because the the guys from cloudy with a chest of meatballs got fired halfway oh. through so he just they actually had to do one of those weird things that uh they actually had to go back and reshoot scenes that they were keeping in the movie just because he had to shoot enough material to be credited as the director in the movie I love because otherwise he, because otherwise you end up like Brian Singer that he still was credited for directing Bohemian Rhapsody. Even Let's though, never talk about uh, again. <laughs> your man that directed uh, Rocketman went in and finished the picture. Oh, it's... um. Oh, fuck, what's his name? He's great. He, just, he directed Sunshine on Leith as well. Yeah, he's, awesome. he's also... Dexter uh, Fletcher? One of the main, yeah, he's also one of the main characters in Band of Brothers. What? Yeah, Dexter Fletcher was in Band of Brothers. He's Sergeant Martin. Oh, okay. That is a... Okay. My ma- right? That's a crossover I never expected in my entire life, but I'm kind of glad those two things are somehow intertwined. Um, yeah, uh, Ron Howard. And, uh, and also, it uh, has to be said that I'm quite proud that I got the character's name right as well. Yeah. From the top of my head. Well, if there's anything that I know about, <laughs> it's Band of Brothers. Um, yeah, so I put Ron Howard in the kind of like, you know, solid 80s, 90s, mid-budget movie director. Um, the screenwriter, however, <laughs> I have to read out some of these, because this, this has to be the most mind-bending fucking career turns I have ever heard of. Right? Oh, David Coep okay. is amazing. Huh? I love David Coep. So, for... Jurassic Park. Carlito's yeah. Way, The Paper, the following year, Mission Impossible, uh, yeah. The Lost World. Is that Jurassic Park 2? Yes. Yes. Uh, random, random, random. Uh, the First Spider-Man, Panic Room, uh, and then lots of rounds of War of the Worlds, as in the remake, 
Uh, then we have uh, Ghost Town. I think Town. he did the last Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I oh, think, yes. As well. Sorry. Sorry. Before Ghost Town, we have Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Ghost Town. Angels and Demons. Premium Rush. Inferno. And then his most recent completed movie, The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise. Well, like the the bits with the uh, angels and demons and Inferno is that those are also directed by Ron Howard. So that explains it. <laughs> I mean, I get their connection. I just don't understand how he can go from like, you know, the three things of, okay, so 1993, Jurassic Park and Carlito's Way come out. The following year, the paper comes out, which has its flaws. Two, two years later, Mission Impossible comes out. But anyways. I just I find that fucking but hilarious like, when I actually looked at it. But up. people forget how bad the the first Mission Impossible is as well. Like it it is enjoyable, but is that it's the bad like, one? No, the bad the real bad one is the second one. But it's the weird okay. thing that the first properly good one is the third one, mostly because of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, the first properly good Fast and Furious is the fifth one, so. <laughs> Oh yeah, like uh, if you keep at it long enough, eventually. <laughs> Some things get better with age. Um, when you just get rid of the whole street racing thing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I love about this movie. Um, uh, like when it's good, it's really good. Uh, when it's bad, it's like well, hysterical women punching things. Um, <laughs> needless to say, the final third of this film. Um. Well, probably, to put it nicely, packs in too many storylines for its own good. I love how they try to set up an arc, a full arc for every character, which in some cases works very well in the Robert Duvall thing, even though it's a bit cheesy with the daughter, but he's so good. All the scenes of him in the office. The way I feel about this film is that when they're all in the newsroom, the film is perfect. And as soon as they leave the newsroom, the film starts to take a serious nosedive. In saying that, I do like the Robert Duvall in the bar with the other guy thing because he's just... With Jason Alexander well. from uh, from fucking Seinfeld. Constanza! I was going to say something about Seinfeld earlier that the poster reminded me of it. Um, it is quite broadcast news at points with the very quick dialogue um some of like some of it's just it's so so sharp and so funny like the scene with the with the editorial meeting is just mwah, and like just keep your dick out of my ashtray um <laughs> it's like how are you why i don't read this newspaper <laughs> i just i laugh out loud at this film and i find it like even whenever it just i mean the problem with the final third is that you lose all the real dramatic tension, which is that this story that should be the most important thing in the movie. Like, it gets the point that whenever they have the scenes of the kids getting arrested, it starts to feel sort of like, that's a different film. Did we just pivot? Um, especially like, oh, Melissa Tomei. But anyways, we'll get to that. At the same time, oh, also, Jason Robards turns up and I, I like, I audibly screamed the first time I saw this. Ben Bradley because for me he is Ben Bradley like no no shade on Tom Hanks or anything or various other reincarnations of Ben Bradley but Jason Robards really the actual Ben Bradley. Bradley huh even the actual Ben Bradley <laughs> but he gets a mention in his autobiography I think that's 
I think he also says in his book, which is a great book, by the way, I would highly recommend, um, that he's, I think he gives it kind of his seal of approval where he's kind of like, yeah, he's, he's kind of, he's a lot like me. <laughs> That's cool. Also, you know, it's kind of a compliment to Jason Robards. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just full of like, oh, it's just just cracking scenes i mean the the cast is sort of ridiculous like that one scene whenever his like um what do you call him's wife michael keaton's wife comes over and uh you know she's trying to talk to him and then people just keep coming into the room and you're like that guy that guy that guy (laughs) also it has one of my favorite shots which is picked straight out of um uh oh that's a wonderful life jesus um I forgot the name, but you know where he's running through the newsroom? The heiress where she goes missing and he has to go and they fall in love. There's a walls of Jericho. Um, ah, it, uh, it happened one night. It happened one night, sorry, there we go. <laughs> I remember all that and don't remember either of the two leads. Was that the one with your one Colbert in it that I couldn't say Colbert, I kept saying Colbert? Anyways, yeah, those are uh, some throwbacks. And Clark Gable, I believe. Clark Gable, yes. Number of people who thinks he looks like Clark Gable number of people who thinks he looks like a clark bar uh yeah i think michael keaton is great um i love the yeah also sorry that's what i was talking about that for um that scene where he first comes into the newsroom and it's like going past all the desks that is one of my favorite shots that is used in everything it is taken and i remember that because i put it into our first our hundredth episode video because there's a shot of clark gable running into the newsroom and there's several of those in this movie and I've never worked in a newsroom, but I think the kind of like chaos of it and the obsession with that it, it taking over people's lives. Also, the idea of being completely jaded whenever you work in such a shitty newspaper. Um, I think it, it like captures it quite well, particularly when you see something like, um, was it the, what's the one where Benedict Cumberbatch plays, um, what's his name? Is it the Fifth Estate? Oh yeah, the, the, the one with fucking... Uh uh what's his face also um the is german it, guy um oh daniel yeah, is daniel brill in that yeah daniel brill is in it is the one that he plays the uh, julian assange yeah yes yes with the hair yeah and i remember Terrible all movie. the guardian because it's based in the guardian offices obviously and uh, all the guardian particularly like mark Ramone, who obviously works for the observer just being like that's not what the guardian's like <laughs> that's not what he's like uh but in roger ebert's movie he did say that this did remind him someone of chicago sometimes fame um that this did actually remind him of being in a newsroom but either way it's like broadcast news i love it i love the chaos of it um i love how something like the morning show attempts to capture this kind of chaos and doesn't do it at all because it's not it's not as like pure 90s as this is um either way i think even if you hated this um i love this movie and i liked rewatching it so <laughs> without further ado ricardo what do you think uh not to bury the lead uh i liked about the first third of the movie but just about liked it and then the movie took a absolute nosedive and i hated it so yeah um and consider also that like i like ron howard as a director i think that he's done uh a, a few great movies and i disagree in the sense of the auteur that you say mm-hmm. that he still is but he's properly like an actor's director so when the movies are set around the characters and around actors 
gen generally they're good. So mm -hmm. even something like Rush, the the movie that he did about Nicky Lauda and James Hunt, Rush, yeah. and that's a really good movie. But uh, his documentaries are good. Uh, but obviously uh, Apollo thirteen, I really like Parenthood as well. That is uh, from nineteen eighty nine with Steve Martin. The oh. uh, they did a TV show uh, later on, like a few years ago, starring your man that of the, the Mark. Duplass of all people, oh. um, but the TV show is meant to be good. But the movie is What's actually really good as well. Parenthood. Oh, weird. Um, but it, like it's one of those movies that. But Splash is a masterpiece, I think, and that's the the first his directorial debut. Um, I remember like uh, what a career. Uh, <laughs> reviews of uh, like interviews with Tom Hanks saying that like he was doing like a shot underwater so they had uh, a little tank that was like an inverted tank at the bottom of a swimming pool so he didn't have to come up for air in between takes so uh -huh. he just swim down and there'd be like a pocket of air there and for him to get directions Ron Howard had to swim down and go into the hole with him and just like <laughs> talk and I'm really close and uh, Ron Howard just went and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you do it good this time? And just left. Uh, <laughs> in this like really panicky way that he has. But I think that like most of his films have a like, good <coughs> dynamic and stuff. Uh, like even uh, I think he also did with Tom Hanks uh, produced uh, the TV miniseries from the earth to the moon, which is about oh, the entire Apollo project yeah. and that's a really good miniseries uh, that I recommend it's very seldom seen but but when it came to this movie I think that there are elements of the style of his that work <laughs> but the movie straight away caught me flat footed because after seeing the poster uh, <laughs> for one I did not know it was a wrong Howard picture so uh I just a got a hint. Howard picture. I I got it first a hint because it said uh, produced by uh, a Brian Grazer produce production, and he only produces Ron Howard movies. So I was like, uh, or he only produces Ron Howard and Michael Bay movies as well, which is really <laughs> cool. um, as far as I know. He has like wild, weird hair. Uh, I think he might have produced uh, Conair. But that's like the best Michael Bay movie, even though he didn't direct it, um, because it is like. Um, but going mm. back to this movie, it starts and it felt like okay, uh, like the. No, but it's so charming. Uh, no, like it's in the first scene. Whenever like the the two kids walk into the crime scene, it just feels like. A deleted scene of a Spike Lee movie, even the way the it's shot and the music, etc. And then it cuts to like this kind of nineties uh, sitcomish uh, comedy. The yeah, the uh, soundtrack isn't good. <laughs> oh Sorry, yeah, Randy, Randy Newman. Uh, <laughs> well, Randy Newman has made good music, but only in albums. Even fucking. I love Toy Story, but you've got a friend and me should be fucking burned. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but <laughs> I'm inclined to agree. The only good Ron New- uh, Randy Newman song in any movie is I Love L.A. at the end of Volcano starring Anne Hesh and Tommy Lee Jones. But because the movie is as bad as that, and it just gets elevated by <laughs> the shitness of the song. Uh, specific that reference also. <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah. All, also uh, in that movie, the guy that plays the Zodiac killer uh, is a uh, transport authority uh, official that melts in lava, and it's very <laughs> funny. Uh, what lava? Volcano is the movie that like LA turns into one oh, big sorry. volcano. Sorry, I didn't hear you say volcano. All I heard was Tommy Lee Jones. Sorry. <laughs> also, the best role that that guy has had in complete opposition to him playing Arthur D. Allen is um I love how you just called him the Zodiac Killer. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's is, not Ted uh, Cruz. <laughs> Is um, when he turns up in Crazy Stupid Love and he comes up, turns up at the bar and he orders Chardonnay and then knocks it back. <laughs> I can't oh, be yeah. friends with you anymore. I got you, Cologne. <laughs> but going back to this movie, um, like I think that the first third, the first third was kind of charming. Yes, I kind of like. Uh, it, I like Michael Keaton and I like wild Michael Keaton. Like, I didn't like Birdman. uh, No. And I didn't like The Founder. I thought the uh, Spotlight is a really good movie, but I didn't really... really shine in it, though. Yeah. But the best fucking things that Michael Keaton was in was, like, early 90s, late 80s crazy movies like the one that he clones himself about a million times can't remember the name of the movie but it's insane something very man, good. I bet yeah, yeah it's something, clone like, man isn't that the name of every 90s movie man. and also he is Batman mainly because he's so insane as Bruce Wayne <laughs> that makes him so much more entertaining than anybody that has come after but in this movie again it's it's michael keaton trying to be both serious but then also trying to be quirky and he kind of falls in the middle um part of the issue okay yeah like the fucking product placement of this movie uh, like the shot of like Glenn Close's watch that the movie holds for about 10 minutes going like did you get it did you get it can you read that the movement was made in Japan did you get it yes did you get it yes or does he like coke yes let's uh, say that he likes coke about a million fucking times why why can't it be shitty coffee or whatever but that's beside the point that's nitpicking in the movie that requires no nitpicking because there's shit smeared all over the walls of this paper like if it was bobby sands prison cell Um, you sat with having a conversation with me before we even started recording and you knew deep down you were gonna use that sentence Ah, yes. Uh, it, it is... Oh, my God. Uh, for one... Like, let me just put it this way. that Like, the second act, it was already derailing. <laughs> but I thought maybe if they bring it together in the third act, 
uh, I'll, I'll give it a positive review, let's say. Flawed, but enjoyable. But when fucking Glenn Close turns into Benicio Del Toro <laughs> and, uh, what is it, the, the fucking uh, uh, Timothy Dalton uh, James Bond movie, the, the last bit is in With, a factory. What's his name? With Pierce Brosnan? No, Timothy Dalton, I just said. Oh, sorry. The Timothy Dalton. Is Benicio Del Toro in one of those? Yeah, really young Benicio Torres is the villain in one of the two Timothy Dalton uh, James Bonds. And uh, the last <laughs> scene in that movie... <laughs> I did. Uh, I've seen every single uh, James Bond movie. Thank you very much. Uh, and every Ron Howard movie, except for this one, apparently. <clears throat> no, I have not seen anything uh, of the... Uh, Dan Brown trilogy besides uh, the F- Da Vinci Code which sucks uh, ass uh, <laughs> but when it came to this like I, I like it was kind of still with me like I still would have criticized the fuck out of it because of the second act which I'll get to but the third act the way that Alex described is like the writer was on on a deadline and somebody showed up with cocaine for him to finish it off and the movie just becomes like absolutely batshit crazy for no reason but like not in an enjoyable way it's like how fast did the wheels fall off like the movie was still a movie before like (laughs) I did not need or want Michael Keaton having a fucking comical fist fight with Glenn Close. Well, <laughs> it goes on for so long as well. I love yes, it. Yes. Like, uh, why did they like think for that was too a long? Idea? Something that I like, even when it started, and it was just kind of awkward. Supposedly, I did not need or want a fight scene between Glenn Close and Michael Keaton. It went for too long. It was just <laughs> fucking ridiculous. It's so long. Although, whenever he says, you have to say it, stop the presses. I was like, I still think that that scene was more fun and less ridiculous than that scene in the paper. Or the paper. The post. Whenever Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. And Meryl Streep. Um, I sorry, I don't get the Meryl Streep thing. And I'm sorry. Catherine Graham is an amazing lady. And I think she should have been given better. Even though I love that movie so much. Because many reasons. But. Um, what is it? Tom Odenkirk? Bob Odenkirk. Just. Oh. So much love. But anyways. Uh, that scene whenever they go into the newsroom. And they're like. I mean. It's cool. Because you get to see the people doing all the typesetting and stuff. But then they have this like. Stupid cheesy moment. And then it cuts to. Oh, in the White House. Oh, Watergate. Oh, I was like. Oh. Spielberg. No. I mean. No one yelled. Stop yes. the presses. But uh, Except in this movie. But. At least they. They called it out for. But at the same time. Like. It's like calling out a cliche. But still. Doing the cliche. And not really like. You know, the part that is a cliche is not the fact that they say stop the presses. Is that the movies end up that you have to stop the presses. That nobody fucking gives a shit about a deadline or whatever. You know, like, it, the cliche <laughs> is that you get to that point. It's not that people use the line. The line is superfluous. Yeah. 
It's like saying that the cliche of like Bond sleeping with every woman is the fact that he says Bond, James Bond. It's just that he sleeps with them. That's the problem. It's not that he uses the same pickup line. I have to say um, that I, I've never thought of doing this and I probably should. That if You know the way you can get like 10 hours of ocean yeah. sounds on YouTube? I think if I could get 10 hours of people typesetting and just printing newspapers, that would probably help me sleep better. Because <laughs> I find it like the ending to State of Play is one of my favorite oh, yeah, things. Just where a, they like run the running. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And in this movie, like parts of it is really well shot, the machinery of it all. Like, uh, parts of the movie is very televisual 90s. Uh, I oh, I think yes. that... <laughs> Anything indoors. Yeah, and that's... <laughs> again, the when you said uh, you had a uh, joyful scream whenever Jason Roberts shows up, I was... I moaned <sighs> by the fact that he had to lower himself to be in this picture. It just reminded me of better days, you know? I, no. feel like, I feel like you liked this more at the start. I <laughs> than did. Because I think that when I watched the, the... No, I mean at the start of the podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, no, no, like... I, is that just thinking about the ending pisses me off? Because, like, so much of it is completely unnecessary. No, like, Marissa Tomei, who I love... And is completely wasted in this movie. Gives probably the worst performance I've yeah. ever seen her give. Uh, and this is like peak Marissa Tomei, like post cousin Vinny and I stuff. I don't think her performance is necessarily that bad. It's more just the fucking. Well, like, there, like in fairness, <laughs> like nobody would have been like able f- to uh, do a, a good performance out of that dog shit no. part. I do like that first scene with them, though, when they're, like, at breakfast. I do like that because it's before the mania sets. Yeah, then, like, that scene that she's there with fucking Kevin McAllister's mom uh, drinking wine in the most fake way ever that she's, like, just pouring wine into a full glass and not really downing it. She's like, oh, you're going through that quickly. You can fake it. It's a movie. You can, like, have the hand go away and it comes back and half the glass is empty. But they didn't even bother with that. They just left it awkward and sad. (laughs) And uh, all of that relationship was kind of, like, out the window. Did not enjoy it. like I like Glenn Close as an actress. I thought she she was really misused in this. I love Robert Duvall as an actor, and just because of that, I just about cared about his character. But I think that so much of it is like cliche. You have no heart. But the thing is that that is such a cliche. Not for like paper movies per se, but it's like the captain in a police drama or like. The ju- like it's exactly the same role as the judge in, in Justice for All, uh, but the only difference is that he doesn't oh, wow. uh, betray <laughs> Pacino. But like, like you know, like if you had fucking Al Pacino running around in this movie, like nineties Pacino and just shouting, maybe they'll like make your blood flow. But like this movie, I know part of it as well is the fact that they work for such a shitty paper, but the movie takes the side having shitty papers is a good thing like having that the problem with the gotcha uh uh fucking thing is just because they're not guilty 
it's not that you're doing fucking two 16 year old black kids get caught for murdering white people and it's obviously like due to bigger issues than just two kids yeah but this is 1994 this is pre-clinton yeah, and, times <laughs> this is pre-impeachment hearings everything is football, fine like you had to, like <laughs> fucking the the disappointment of seeing in the cast that fucking what's his face uh the guy that is also in the true stories um with the amazing name uh, what's his name uh, one second Oh, yeah, Spalding Gray. I love him and his monologues. The Spalding Gray is in this movie and he's wasted in it because they just hired him to be angry and have a bow tie. And also, like, how fucking the, that newspaper is such a caricature of like no newspaper ever had as much money as that newspaper uh, has. In this movie, it seems like a scene out of fucking Wolf of Wall Street. Like he walks in there. I don't know though, because like if you ever, because if you were listening to like um, like journalists who came of age in a certain time, whenever like loads, kind of in like the late nineties, right before the dot com boom, and like the amount of money that newspapers and magazines had at that point that they were just new ones were starting all the time and you would just be like sent off in these like crazy expeditions and stuff and like crazy assignments because there was just so much money in the business and then it all very rapidly went downhill so I don't like I don't find that completely even the fact of how many daily newspapers there would have been in 1994 yeah but then it's also the one of those things that it's so superfluous but also uh, a cliche that is anything that is highbrow is shitty and then a tabloid is like, it's off the people. But also, fucking, the shit that they published, the, the idea. They, you know, like, if the movie wasn't so tied with the idea of ideology and the idea of being a good reporter. You know, like, it made me think of... For once, It made me think of McNulty and The Wire. You know, he's a good police kind of thing. That... But also, uh... but in this is kind of like <laughs> they're all shitheads. Like, and again, when I'm going through the cast list, Jason Alexander pops in in the end, and uh, such an unnecessary appearance of the character. That character that is just like you said that everybody has to have a complete arc in the movie. It's like somebody read a fucking screenwriting book. They they read fucking William Goldman fucking. But it's like, I love whenever you've completely forgotten a character exists and then they suddenly reappear to have their big emotional ending and you're like, oh. Yeah, but also the fucking, <laughs> in that, like, the the caricature <laughs> pit with the photographer trying to take the, the picture, that she's like 90s oh God, yeah. uh, fucking sassy girl kind of thing. She looked a bit like Amy Ryan, uh, but... Uh, pro- Amy, Amy Ryan, Ryan is like the mother in uh, Gone Baby Gone, and she Amy Ryan is the police, uh, uh, the port officer in the season two of The Wire, actually. Oh fuck! Oh my god! Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I yeah, like her. I'm not saying that it was Amy Ryan, but she looked a bit like a young Amy Ryan, <clears throat> but. But, like, it's the kind of movie that is, like, when Randy Quaid gives the best performance. It's like, did anybody win, actually? 
Did it with the gun? Yeah, though. but again, parts of it it felt. You know, I really like Office Space, the Mike Judge movie with uh, Ron Livingston, like another Band of Brothers alum. But that movie it, it, it strikes just the right tone of silliness, and also because it's based on everybody's experience, that in a way you can relate. Yeah. So, but <clears throat> this movie. It just goes off the fucking reservation very quickly, very fast, and then never goes comes <laughs> back. Uh, like, uh, this is why I do think that the best scenes are the scenes where they're just in the bubble of the newspaper, and that whenever they leave that, that's when the whole thing goes it's completely still down. a movie that if they try to do like a, a story that fucking wasn't as charged as this is and you go like oh yeah but it was 1994 and it's like yeah do you just say charged charged oh sorry okay charged (laughs) as the plot line the storyline but the white saviors are gonna come in but also it's like this is like just post rodney king as well it's not especially the side of like the police corruption that they just arrest black kids knowing that they're not but also it's like how quickly every policeman, even the ones that are not in any way, shape or form related to this case, know exactly that this is a shit bust. That is like, oh, they're talking on the radio. Nobody knew. Oh, it's a shit bust. We're just doing it to cover our asses. It's like stupid enough. Like if nobody has police <laughs> scanners, it's not a fucking code. You know, there's a reason that they speak in code. And also it's stupid because everybody knows like what a ten four is or whatever, but thanks Hollywood. But yeah, like I, I get like I think that it's a movie that, but that's the problem. I think that the movie doesn't the heart of the movie is not in the right place, and it's like you know like, it's a very conservative movie, in many ways. Uh, is the idea of the status quo being okay and they just mention things but doesn't actually challenge them like the idea of a woman having a kid and her having to sacrifice her career it's paid lip service but really like the movies in the point of view it's a very what? 90s portrayal of that as if they've just discovered this idea that like which in a way is no, nineteen ninety four. That's that. No, that's completely bogus. It's it's just yeah. It's like, and even mentioning it is enough. <laughs> it's like, and then really. even the scene that you're mentioning all the time is like, oh, when he shoots the gun, like, oh, let let him talk to his wife or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but the problem is that everybody's like so dumb as characters that it's like that reporter with the bad back and the sneezing reporter like everybody is a caricature if you take Robert Duvall Michael Keaton out of that situation everybody is like not good and it's like even the fucking the uh, the Randy Quaid character when he's sleeping there because uh, somebody's trying to kill him and then it turns out to be Jason Alexander and he's just a sad sack it's like what is the point of this entire movie? Yeah, that 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 scene in the bar where Glenn goes Oh yeah, yeah, that goes into shock and tries to grab every telephone. <laughs> like this movie went. Um, 
<laughs> By that point, I'd fallen back in love with it again, though, because it was so insane. Yeah, but it was <laughs> insane in a very... But the baby! It was not an enjoyable way. I love this movie. It's so stupid. It, that, yes, but it's stupid in a way that is not funny. Because it's like it's one of those movies that I feel that is just plain bad. You know what I mean? It's not like... You know how Nicolas Cage has like movies like Left Behind yeah, that are a really bad movie and a good bad movie. Yeah, bad like movie. Left Behind starring Nicolas Cage and Chad Michael Murray that is a remake of the same movie as <laughs> that is like this Christian movie that I, me and John watched it. It's amazing. How are they? How are they? They co-pilots in the movie. I- They're. I don't understand why those two people also, although Chad Michael Murray is in season three or four. I don't know what they're on in Riverdale now. Riverdale has gone. You think the end of this movie is insane? But Chad Michael Murray turns up as like a cult leader or something. Has not aged a day since uh, One Tree Hill days. But uh, oh man, it's a, it's like mm, my, my little nostalgic early naughty's heart beats uh, hard Speaking for about that, I do recommend everybody to watch Left Behind. Uh, ironically, it is... Uh, I'm putting it on my it's wish amazing. list. It's uh, amazing. There is the the half the movie is set in an airport, and the airport looks like it was shot in any shopping mall that they could get in, like a shopping mall <laughs> in like backers of nowhere, Missouri. Kind oh, of. oh, three point one out of ten <laughs> oh, on yes. IMDb. I feel like that might be a it record. It is uh, quite a special movie. Uh, but going back to this movie, it was such a roller coaster because looking at the poster, watching it, I was like, I looked at the poster first and I was like, what the fuck is this movie that Orla's making me watch? Then the movie started and I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is a serious picture. Then the movie continued <laughs> and I was like, okay, the tone is kind of all over the place, but it's enjoyable. Then it got boring in the middle and then crazy at the end. But not crazy in a good way. Just crazy. And and also, the, again, I think that the pro- the biggest problem with the movie is that it, it takes such a serious topic and just shits on it. Yeah. Like, I think that if the story was like, oh, the mayor, that they printed that like the mayor was sleeping with a woman but ended up being that the woman had lied about it or or, i don't know uh something that uh, seems big stakes but it's uh, something that would have aged better yeah like (laughs) i'm not saying that i know the answer but i just i find it hilarious that the same guy wrote carlito's way (laughs) so ricardo what was your favorite thing if you can possibly pick anything (laughs) Well, like I think that the, the like I said, the if you take the opening thing out, the first third of the movie does a pretty good job of establishing who everybody is, and like even the sense of like Alicia, that is like such a like the Glenn Close character is such a fucking disappointment in the end because everybody is like Alicia this, Alicia that, or whatever. You think, you know, there's gonna be a payoff, and it just turns out yeah. that she. It's just a slightly shitty person that <laughs> wants more money, and 
Also, considering it's Glenn Close, she should have been way scarier. Because Glenn Close still scary very well. Oh, yes. So, like, oh, yeah. yeah, she does. Like, uh, I've seen yeah. Fatal Attraction quite a few times. I mean, she's freaking Creole de Ville. Like, come on. Now. Um, but I think that segment yeah. of the movie, everything kind of clicks. Like, obviously, there are some issues, like the cinematography or whatever, that it's still awkward but fuck it like uh, i was able to deal with it because it's a 90s picture like when it's a 90s film you kind of have to forgive it a bit that's not why you're watching this film (laughs) yeah like but at the same time it's like the movies that it calls back to and also movies that like take place in the same place like newsrooms are really cinematic and to make a newsroom uncinematic is quite an achievement in itself um (laughs) But I was able, like, I was actually enjoying it. Like, I'm not saying that I wasn't. Then the movie slowly but surely started, like, to just grind on me, like, slowly. And then I I could see what was going to happen, like, a mile before. And then it happened. And then I was like, oh, no. What's your favorite thing about the movie? Um... How I felt about it before I started talking to you. <laughs> um, probably the first third. I find it incredibly enjoyable. Um, it's just like that that scene before your man shoots the gun where they're all talking. It's just... I find it enjoyable because it doesn't give into the mania of later on where everyone's just shouting, shouting. Whereas like... <clears throat> At this point, like five different people are having a conversation with uh, Michael Keaton at the one time, and your man with the chair comes in and he's like, you know, oh, I spent that check, and he's he just kind of quietly turns to and he's like, I can't think about that right now. You know what I mean? It's like the measure of the scene is great, of like all the different conversations. It's all, you know what I mean? I think it's really well done, really well blocked and stuff. And uh, even if Melissa Tomei is, well, you know, um, also. There's just the sound of like printing presses. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I would highly recommend there's um, a video that the New York Times did ages ago with, where they interview um, the main like warehouse in like the, some outer borough of New York or fucking New Jersey or somewhere where they actually print the New York Times. Uh, well, they print some of them. They're not all like not all of it's printed there, but you know, say east coast or whatever is printed there and uh they talk to the guys who run it and maintain all the equipment and how it's all still very old school and like it's oh my god it's such a treat and a delight and i would highly recommend if you have any interest whatsoever in actually especially if you like uh how things are made you know those that series where it's like here's how pencils are made i had discovery Um, channel back in the day Yes, oh, they're all on YouTube. I fucking love those things. Um, what was your uh, least favorite thing? Well, like I think the my least favorite thing, which is truly the only like truly offensive thing about the movie, is the decision of using that plot line for the salvation of the main characters and staying so like it reminded me of that Al Pacino movie with the. Uh, is it John Cusack or oh, who's the other car actor? In a, I think it's John Cusack. I might be wrong. Or Johnny Depp. Um, City Hall. 
it reminded me of that movie that similarly is a political intrigue movie similar to like state mm-hmm. of play or whatever but without newspapers richard schiff is in it that um takes like a serious story it's like i think it's a cop that accidentally shoots a young boy and throws the yeah. intrigue around it they think that at least uh movies have moved away from trying to package these shock stories into really benign movies that you know they're talking about this movie about race riots and it's just so completely offhand that it's like the mayor is doing this to try to stop a race riot and considering how the movie is portraying this tabloid that is clearly like even the way that fucking Michael Keaton and everybody like perhaps is correct kind of thing but it makes it hard to give a shit that he really just wants to be right he doesn't really give a shit about these kids and as soon as he's proven right the the kids go out of the picture you never see the kids again you don't see them getting released and also I think if you cut the the Randy Newman soundtrack and give everybody less of a dramatically satisfying conclusion this movie would make a lot more sense <laughs> like it made more sense but it still make no sense the choice of fucking story that they're going for you know like it's it's just yeah. sensational in a way that like okay it works for a tabloid but also for not a second if somebody is like the metro head in the fucking tabloid especially the new like the new york post or something like that i think that's what it's based on yeah that i don't think for a second that the fucking editor or the metro section would blink an eye to go oh yeah let's sprint the fuck it because like that's what they do for the entirety of the year kind of like i get it if it was like a non-prestigious broadsheet or something you know that it's kind of like oh we're just like always second best we don't have the same resources or whatever but Uh, yeah, definitely the usage of that. Um, you, like, I think because I never took that seriously in the movie that I never thought the movie really took it seriously. So I just kind of, I don't, I never really expected at the end of the film that they were going to like do right by that story because it didn't feel like, you know, like it felt very 1994, let's say. But uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely a very, like it's, it's the fact that any time they go back to it it either feels like a completely different film or else just weirdly comical like even like whenever your one takes the pictures of them and you see the picture then and the fact that the way they're looking at her it's kind of like the way they're looking at the movie yeah <laughs> it's like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> um but also like the whole baby thing because her being pregnant is fine I don't think there's any problem with that I think the idea of her being pregnant and being away from being in, like that's interesting I like her little side thing whenever she goes off um, and like legitimately gets a lead I like that and he's like he's like, oh you know I'm so proud of you whatever it's like that's quite like I like their little dynamic there 
But then it's like, oh no, she's in peril. Oh, it's like for fuck's sake! Like as soon as she appears that pregnant, you're like, she didn't have to be that pregnant. You could have just had her pregnant and nothing happens. You know what I mean? Has to be said, it's the fakest belly of all time as well. Because I like, I think it should have just been enough for them to talk about her being pregnant, and she didn't have to have the scene with the friend and just looking down the barrel of. Because it's something that Sex and the City did quite well. Because Miranda was always the best character in Sex and the City. And her getting pregnant, deciding to keep her baby, and then having her baby, and then having, like, trying to, like, work while pregnant, having the baby. Even in the movies, that was one of the better things about her trying to, like, all the sexism that she faced in work. And you know what I mean? Like, that, and that's not that much later than this film. Because, like, what, that's, like, 1908? Sex and the out it's not like crazy but um yeah, yeah it's, I think what's annoying is that there are so many like my perspective I think there are really great things in this film and like there's such chemistry between the leads and the characters even the ones that are like you know obviously that's a thing of them being really good actors but also that you know you said earlier that Ron Howard is like an actor's director and stuff which is kind of funny that he did such a disservice to someone like Glenn Close, <laughs> particularly 1994 as well. It's not like, it's like, yeah, it's it's just disappointing. But um, yeah, I I do really like this movie still, though, <laughs> and I I am I'm sad that it annoyed you so much because I got such joy from it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I know it's okay. Like uh, you know uh. Part of the joy of this podcast is like swinging for the fences and saying if uh, it was a little bit like more because yeah. I wanted to do um, the China syndrome because that was another one I watched that like because it's like it, also because I was was I watching the West Wing or no I was listening because the West Wing is getting to the very end of the West Wing now so it's like the whole thing of the uh, nuclear uh, thing in California that kind of yeah. screws over um, Vinick but. Um, uh, I did kind of feel whenever I picked it, I was like, "This is probably a little bit of a wild card," but eh, you know, you got a try. movie that I uh, I think you like that I don't think you you've seen. Um, it's called Cry Freedom. Uh, it's uh, starring Kevin Klein and Denzel Washington. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was on my list as well. I think I have that downloaded. Uh, it's uh, really good. Uh, it's about uh, Steve Beatcode. Uh, uh, freedom fighter during the apartheid Africa mm-hmm. and it's his story yeah. um, and it's one of those few films that it's like yeah I do agree that it's a 90s movie so there's 90s problems but Richard Attenborough the director of it David Attenborough's younger brother also the old guy from Jurassic Park so yes. that's another link Come full circle. but uh, is that uh, it, even though it's a, a a white savior narrative, uh, Richard Attenborough always said that he'd rather have been able to make a Denzel Washington yeah. movie, but We've it couldn't be made in 1992. So he'd rather get the story out when there was still apartheid in Africa, South yeah. Africa, than be able to wait until Hollywood caught up and be able to make it like in 2005 or something. So. Yeah. Well, there's well, a, even 2005. Yeah, so like it, there is, but it's interesting because it it gives that side of the story actual power as well as the white savior mm-hmm. narrative. Like it, it balances it. Like it's still Kevin Klein as the main character, but 
it pays its dues to Denzel Washington as Steve yeah. Biko. So and being I, a better actor than Kevin Kline, <laughs> quite a large degree. No, no Kevin Kline is uh, really good in that movie as well. Like I think that he plays it uh, perfectly because mm. he needs to be a bit of a moron, like in the sense of like he's the leader of an English speaking paper in South Africa and apartheid South Africa. So it's yeah. not even like just a African paper is like the old colonial way kind of thing. It's even like a minority within a minority, but still in power kind of thing. Yeah. But I think that you'd like that movie. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but uh, besides that, uh, uh, any other points? <laughs> no, I was just thinking there about how I think because when we think of like 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s movies, you know that they're problematic and you know they're problems. And I think there's there's something about particularly now and the last kind of like, for me anyway, it's probably 10 years of the sheen of the 90s completely dissolving. Of that well, the 90s feeling. has the worst music, the worst cinema, uh, the worst literature. Not exclusively the the worst. Uh, no, like but. there's obviously no there's obviously fucking uh, exceptions to the world. Like there's always obviously amazing music made in the nineties. Two thousands are fairly bad. Also, there's a whole thesis of cinema out there that the year nineteen ninety nine is one of the best years of cinema ever. <laughs> so. Yeah, but as a decade, there's like one year doesn't say the fucking entire decade. Yeah. And also, yeah. it's like. They, it developed you know like you said that this is kind of 80s it also carries like it pushed the boundaries of like things that the 80s did badly the 90s did worse let's say but with less panache I'm sad I'm sad but also you made a lot of good points so well, I didn't I was looking forward to recording it yeah. <laughs> It's been a while since I didn't like one of your picks. I'm going to need to research that. Uh, <laughs> I'll do that while you tell us uh, where they can find us. They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, at The Right Game on Twitter, The Recommendation Game at gmail.com on Gmail, uh, the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud, iTunes, and on Dublin Digital Radio every Monday, 11 to 12. Yay! Next week's film is Ricardo's pick. Ricardo, what do you pick? Yes. Hayao Miyazaki's Kiki's Delivery Service. I'm very excited. Awesome. I'm glad you are. Alright, until then, I was Orla McGuinness. I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>